Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Today we're going to have uh, Meditations, the book club, episode number four. Um, going to be going over books eight and nine. We did books five and six on Wednesday of this week. We're going to go over eight and nine. These books are really, really dense. Five through nine were super dense. Honestly, five through 12, I think we're pretty dense. Um, sorry, seven and eight. I quoted that wrong. We're going to go through books seven and eight. I was looking at book nine. That's my bad. Um, so books five through eight were really, really dense. So we're going to go through seven and, uh, seven and eight today. So let's get into it. We're going to start the same way. We're going to do this the same way that we did, uh, book seven last, uh, on Wednesday where I'm just going to go through and identify key, I guess you can call them verses, uh, notes that Marcus Aurelius wrote and just give you my thoughts on them, read them to you, give you my thoughts on them, what I took out of those notes. It's going to be uh, pretty good um, getting a lot of this stuff. A lot of it relates to Jocko, so you kind of know my style, but trying to do something a little bit new for books seven and eight and not use Jocko as much of a, cr- as a cr- sorry, not use Jocko as as much of a crutch as I was. Um, so let's get into it. We're going to start with book seven, number seven. Don't be ashamed to need help. Like a soldier storming a wall, you have a mission to accomplish. And if you've been wounded and you need a comrade to pull you up, so what? Um, yeah, this is, I think, a big one, especially for us among men, is uh, the idea of needing help. Um, a, lot of, a lot of guys don't want to admit it, uh, that they need help in certain areas of their lives, and so they'll reject the help when it comes along. One thing I wanted to uh, to mention, and I know I just said I was going to try to use Jocko as less of a crutch, but um, if we approach life, just like Marcus is saying here, you have a mission to accomplish. Uh, when we live a purpose-driven life, we have to understand that that comes with a mission to be the best husband I can, uh, to be the best father I can. Sometimes in order to execute that mission, you need uh, a little bit of help along the way. And so don't ever feel ashamed for taking that help. Um, seek it out occasionally too. If you need some professional help, if you need to talk to a therapist, go do that. Um, now make sure they're decent therapists because, uh, you know, it's the therapist that came out of college and, uh, they may not share your values to say the least because they're from academia. But, uh, if you need help, go talk to somebody that you believe is a professional or that you believe can actually help you get your get out of the situation that you're in. A lot of you, that may be your pastor. Um, you know, I think that we hear a lot about, oh, go talk to a therapist, go talk to a therapist, um, because that's kind of what, in cities, when you're not much on God, <laughs> then that's what you have to do is you have to go talk to a therapist. But 
if you have a really good pastor or I don't know if they have like counselors in church or whatever, um, elders, if you've got some of those guys that you're really close to inside your church, uh, go talk to them because they, the, the good thing is that, you know, the answers probably aren't coming from them. They're coming from the good book if they're doing it right. So just a good little note there. Go, go get help if you need it straight, not straightened. I believe this was earlier in the book. Um, pretty simple motto, straight, not straightened, be free, not forced. Um, do things because you want to, because it's your purpose, not because somebody makes you, uh, this is good. If you're a teenager, um, this is just a good little note on this. If you're a teenager, do this shit because, uh, it's going to make you a better man and it's going to help you fulfill your purpose later. Don't do the chores because your mom asked you to. Um, don't help with the laundry just because, um, if you don't, your mom's going to get real pissy later, go do it because you actually want to, uh, it's going to make your life a lot better and it's going to make you, um, it's going to instill discipline, uh, in you that you'll be able to use later. I know it's hard for teenagers to understand how discipline helps them while they're still in high school and they're not exactly having to pay their own bills and try, you know, maybe they drive themselves around, but pay for their car and all that stuff. Um, it's hard for teenagers to really get the concept of discipline helping them other than something like sports or something like that. And they don't really understand how it, I guess, goes into other areas of life, especially if their parents aren't disciplined. Uh, they don't have a good example. So if you're a teenager and you're listening to this straight, not straightened, don't wait until you're told to do something to do it. Uh, next one is going to be number 15. No matter what anyone says or does, my task is to be good, like gold or emerald or purple repeating it to itself. No matter what anyone says or does, my task is to be emerald, my color undiminished. Uh, this is part of stoicism. Um, the idea that no matter what kind of happens around you, no matter what anybody says or does, you're going to live your life the way you know that you need to live it, and you're going to keep your emotions on an even keel. Uh, this is one of the good parts of stoicism. This is what I like about stoicism. This is what I think is a good tool for stoicism. So use that as you will. Number 15 on book seven. And again, I'm just going through these, these that I highlighted. Um, and even some that I highlighted on my first time reading got knocked out because I just didn't think they're important. And I think that's how you should read this book is take it, um, line by line, note by note, decide what you think is important, throw away the shit that isn't, because these are, um, <laughs> at the very core of it, these are an old man's notes. Now, he had a lot of information. I'm not obviously looking down on Marcus Aurelius because he was a great emperor and I have no reason to look down on him, but these are just an old man's notes and Marcus will tell us that here pretty soon. Um, frightened of change, but what can exist without it? What's closer to nature's heart? Can you take a hot bath and leave the firewood as it was? Eat food without transforming it? Can any vital process take place without something being changed? Can't you see? It's just the same with you and just as vital to nature. Yeah, guys. Um, basically, what he's saying here is stop being so resistant to change. Nothing in the world happens without change. Change is the nature of the world. Um, even the plants take carbon dioxide and make oxygen. Uh, that's... That's how it goes. You have to change in order to get better, in order to grow. That's going to be number seven, or uh, book seven, number 18. Next, we're going to go on to number 22, book seven, number 22. To feel affection for people when they make mistakes is uniquely human. 
You can do it if you simply recognize that they're human too, that they act out of ignorance against their will, and that you'll both be dead before long, and above all, that they haven't really hurt you. They haven't diminished your ability to choose. Again, another part of Stoicism. Um, They're not, what he's saying here, to feel affection for people even when they make mistakes is uniquely human. Dogs and animals don't do this. <laughs> um, if you make a mistake in the animal kingdom, uh, you're eaten. So what he's saying here is that um, to have compassion for one another is uniquely human. Uh, to have true compassion for one another. Um, unconditional passion for one another, I think, is the best way to say it. Uh, it's, uh, and he says here, you can do it if you simply recognize that they're human too, and they act out of ignorance against their will, and you'll, and that you'll both be dead before long, and above it all, that they haven't really hurt you, they haven't diminished your ability to choose. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a big one. They haven't, they haven't hurt you because they haven't taken your character and your ability to make the right decision. Uh, this also go back goes back to humility. Uh, don't get overly upset when people make silly mistakes or even big mistakes because you have to realize that they're human too. They come from the same uh, ground that you do. They, they were built by the same creator. They were, uh, they're made of the same flesh and blood as you are. It's all the same stuff. And uh, you have really no reason to get overly upset with somebody that's making mistakes because you could just as easily be making those same mistakes at the very same moment and on the other side it doesn't it doesn't hurt you because it's not tarnishing your character you're the only one that can tarnish your own character so why are you letting people's mistakes uh get to you and and bother you so bad that doesn't mean don't help them just don't get angry about it Number 26, uh, when people injure you, ask yourself what good or harm they thought would come of it. If you understand that, you'll feel sympathy rather than outrage or anger. Your sense of good and evil may be the same as theirs or near it, in which case you have no, uh, you have to excuse them. Or your sense of good and evil may differ from theirs, in which case they're misguided and they deserve your compassion. Is that so hard? Um... I like this one because uh, what where my mind went on this was unsolicited advice. So basically, he's saying when people injure yourself, ask yourself what good or harm they thought would come of it. So a lot of people um, hate unsolicited advice. They say, and it sounds like I'm coping a little bit because I used to give a lot of unsolicited advice, and I think I did it the wrong way quite often. And if you're any of my like, if you're my friend. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that I used to chime in on things that probably weren't any of my business, uh, that I probably wasn't an expert on, and I definitely probably wasn't living up to, uh, wasn't being a good example for. And so, um, but I also, you know, in response to that, I've heard a lot of, not directed towards me, but, uh, you know, in my search to be a better human, I've heard a lot of people um, say that, you know, oh, unsolicited advice, never give unsolicited advice. It's just not, uh, not right of you to, um, think that, you know, better for somebody else and whatever the case, don't give unsolicited advice. A lot of people say it's not the best strategy. And I, I can agree with that to a certain extent that, uh, being direct with unsolicited advice is not the best strategy. That's right in line with Jocko. But what he's saying here is if, if you're the type of person that gets upset at unsolicited advice, uh, he's saying when people injure you, and when he means injure, he means like hurt your pride or 
uh, offend you. You could replace injure with offend. Ask yourself what good or harm they thought would come of it. I think this is key for unsolicited advice. I don't know anybody that goes out of their way to give somebody unsolicited advice in an effort to do harm. Um, I would call that criticism uh, or honestly even slander. I don't think criticism is always given in a negative for a negative reason, honestly. Um, so when somebody's giving you unsolicited advice and you really don't like it, um, you think that they're being arrogant and it hurts your pride and you already know what you're doing and there's no reason for you to be getting this advice because they don't know near as much as you. What he's saying here is that, uh, you know that they mean good. Um, you know that they are just trying to help you. Uh, that that's really all solicited advice is. I know when I was, you know, big into my giving unsolicited advice phase, which I still do, um, probably a little bit too often. Uh, it's never meant in a bad like. I'm never giving unsolicited advice in order to tank somebody. That's that's not the way it's meant. And if you give unsolicited advice, because I'm sure you have, because nobody's perfect and you're all human, uh, do you mean it in a bad way? Well, if not, then the people around you that are giving you unsolicited advice probably don't mean it in a bad way. So uh, this was just a, a good little, uh, this is just a good little uh, quote that I thought for reasons that unsolicited advice isn't actually as offensive as what you think it is. Um, okay, number 27, the really the next one. Treat what you don't have as non-existent. Look at what you have, the things you value most, and think of how you'd crave them uh, how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. But be careful. Don't feel such satisfaction that you start to overvalue them. That then that it would eps, sorry that it would upset you to lose them. I'm going to read that again because I can't read out loud. Treat what you don't have as non-existent. Look at what you have, the things you value most, and think of how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. But be careful. Don't feel such satisfaction that you start to overvalue them that it would upset you to lose them. So uh, I wrote down here, oof, good advice for pocket knives because uh, I have a crippling pocket knife addiction. I just need them all. Uh, all the premium pocket knives from $100 to $300, I just want them all. Um, basically, what he's saying is to value the things that you do have, your material possessions. A lot of people... Uh, refuse to value material possessions and I think that is silly because they do bring you some sort of joy however minimal that joy is and if you get your joy from somebody you know from somewhere else then that's fine but value the things that you have because it's going to keep you from wanting more uh, we all know those people like myself that um, the next pocket knife is never good enough the one that they've got in their pocket is never good enough they always want the next thing and, you know, that's valid because every pocket knife is different. But also, um, what he's saying here is uh, be careful, don't feel... Oh, yeah, think about how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. Think about how much you wanted that... You know, I'm going to use pocket knives as an example. Think about how much you wanted that knife before you bought it. And now, um, you because you want a different knife so much more, you're not really valuing that one in the same way that you did when you bought it. So this is just a good little advice for somebody that has a uh, crippling purchasing addiction like I do. Um, this could also go for people. Uh, I know, yeah, 
I mean, this could go for people. Treat what you don't have as non-existent. Look at what you have, the things you value most, and think of how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. But be careful. Don't feel such satisfaction that you start to overvalue them, value them, that it would upset you to lose them. Okay, so I don't know that it really goes... Uh, I don't know that it really goes well for people because he's kind of apathetic there at the end like he's saying don't value don't overvalue them to the point to where it would upset you if they left uh and i don't feel like that's right for people so i was going to say that you could transfer this to like your wife and valuing your wife and treating other women as if they're non-existent <laughs> sorry that <laughs> that sounds kind of bad please don't treat uh women as if they're non-existent or like objects that is not good that's not what i'm telling you to do um but uh, anyway, yeah, we'll move on because I don't think it really applies well to people. I do think he is talking about material items. So next. Um, oh, this one is good. So let's see. He says um, on number 32, book seven, number 32. This one was kind of a little bit incoherent. I didn't really get much out of this one. He says on death, if atoms dispersed, if oneness quenched or changed. Cool, dude. <laughs> um, nice. I don't know what that means, but uh, he's got a little series going on here, so I wanted to mention that one. Uh, number three, or 33, book seven. On pain, unendurable pain brings its own end with it. Chronic pain is always endurable. The intelligence maintains serenity by cutting itself off from the body. The mind remains undiminished, and the parts that pain affects, let them speak for themselves if they can. So what I got out of that is that uh, if uh, if the pain could not be endured, you wouldn't be enduring it. You'd be dead. <laughs> I mean, relatively simple. He says unendurable pain brings with it its own end. Oh, brings its own end with it. Um, this pain that you're going through, this pain that you're having, if it was that bad, you'd be dead uh, because pain can kill people or well more what like what causes pain can kill people and if it was that bad you'd be kind of dead uh, either that or it's going to kill you relatively quickly so uh, don't bask in the pain um understand like yeah it, you know our bodies suck and not suck but it's hard to just ignore pain and avoid pain but uh remember that pain is part of life and again if it was really that bad, you'd be dead. So you, what it is is the assurance that you know you can get through it, that you're going to last as long as uh, as long as the mind can last, as long as your character can last. Um, the pain's not going to be what kills you because it's not killing you right now. I thought that was good, especially if you have trouble working out because it's consistent pain. Uh, keep working out because the pain's endurable. Let's see, on ambition, how their minds work, the things they look, they long for and fear, even like piles of sand, drift upon drift, each one soon hidden by the next. Basically, what he's saying is ambitious people, they constantly want the next thing, they constantly want the next achievement. Um, I think that, uh, I think he's right here, that I'm not super keen on ambition. I think ambition is a tool that can help us. Uh, when we want to get further in life, having ambition is fine, but I think our, our main focus uh, should be excellence and purpose. Uh, he says right here, even like piles of or events like piles of sand, drift upon drift, each one soon hidden by the next. Um, instead of <laughs> what he's saying here is that uh, you know the 
achievements that you're going for with your ambitious attitude and your ambitious feelings are like the piles of sand in the desert. You know, with the winds, they just keep changing. There's never anything uh, sturdy. And I would say uh, to be like the rock that uh, can change over time, you know, it gets, uh, how do they call that, eroded, um, wind erosion, you know, water erosion, things like that. Be like a rock that can change over time, but uh, make sure that your purpose and uh, your strive for excellence is is well-grounded. Don't don't make it as easy, uh, as easy to move as what sand is, I think is what he's trying to say here. So, let's see. Next. Okay. Uh, number 48, Plato has it right. If you want to talk about people, you need to look down on the earth from above. Herds, armies, farms, weddings, divorces, births, deaths, noisy courtrooms, desert places, all the foreign people's holidays, days of mourning, market days, all mixed together. A harmony of opposites. So this is this is going to be where I invoke Jocko here um, and his uh, his... His, uh, I guess, I don't know if you call it a tenet or a commandment or something, but uh, thinking strategic. Jocko is a big, big proponent of thinking strategic, and uh, I guess he calls it, um, let's see, how do, how do I say this? Um, thinking strategically, it's basically being conscientious about how your actions affect the whole um affect the whole and where you're going in life. And I'm having a little trouble describing this because this wasn't how I thought I was going to approach this. But uh, what he's saying right here is if you want to talk about people, you need to look down on the earth from above. Herds, anim- herds, armies, farms, weddings, divorces. What he's saying is take the whole into account when you talk about people. Understand that there is a large diverse set of experiences when it comes to the world. And uh, if you're going to dabble in the art of I guess, judging people or talking about people or trying to understand humans in general, make sure, make sure that you maintain a strategic perspective. Detach. That's the word I was looking for. I can't believe I couldn't find it. Uh, Jocko says, you know, to detach, uh, leave, um, in your mind, leave the, uh, the here and now and all the emotions and, uh, the action that is going on in your life right now. If you want to, talk in terms of people, which all of us have to do eventually. But if you want to think in terms of people and their mentalities and relationships, then you have to look at it from a 30,000 foot view and uh, be strategic about it. That's what Marcus Aurelius is trying to say here. Number 49, look at the past, empire succeeding empire, succeeding empire. And from that, extrapolate the future, the same thing. No escape from from the rhythm of events which is why observing life for 40 years is as good as a thousand. Would you really see anything new? Um, All I wrote here was it's funny as I read Marcus Aurelius that he says this. Uh, (laughs) I'll read it again. Look at the past. Empire succeeding empire. And from that, extrapolate the future. The same thing. No escape from the rhythm of events, which is why observing life for 40 years is as good as a thousand. Would you really see anything new? Um... What he's saying is, uh, yeah, it's cool to enjoy history, whatever. Uh, but if you're looking for answers, you don't always have to turn back to 1,000, 2,000 years ago uh, like a lot of people tend to do. They'll search for – I had a good conversation with Cade Carter today on the idea that people will search for uh, search for God, whether they believe in God or not. And I think a lot of people find gods uh, in the past and 
um, not ideologues, but legends and uh, stories that they hear from people in the past, such as Marcus Aurelius. Um, and they begin to idolize them and think that they are, they're the only ones that knew what they knew. And they're the only ones that ever knew what they knew that it hasn't repeated itself and that you can't, you know, our, our modern times are awful. Basically what he's saying here is the shit keeps going. It's a circle. Empires get taken over. Uh, men keep living. Men keep thinking about different things. Nothing is really new. So, uh, you know, why look past 40 years? Uh, and I think he's got a good point because you've got a lot more context context for the last 40 years. I mean, think about that. That's the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. Am I doing that math right? Yeah. 1983. So uh, why are you diving all the way back into Marcus Aurelius? I think he honestly... Reading this book, if the translations are correct, I think that if you uh, get to heaven, and I don't know if Marcus Aurelius was going to heaven. I mean, he believed in multiple gods, so uh, I don't know how all that shit shakes out. But uh, if you get to heaven and you tell Marcus that you were so excited to read his book and that you loved it and you read it 18 times, based on a few things that I've seen here, he would be really disappointed with you. (laughs) Now, once you read his book, uh, maybe that's your sign to uh, go listen to Jocko a little bit more because he's contemporary. But he's mentioned it two or three times that uh, stop reveling on people of the past. Uh, look to your contemporaries for advice and for help because they're, they have a lot more content, context with what you're actually dealing, dealing with in the world. I just, I just think that that's cool. And again, I think it's so ironic that I'm sitting here reading this out of a book that uh, an emperor of Rome wrote. So um, anyway, uh, book seven, number 54, everywhere at each moment, you have the option to accept this event with humility, to treat this person as, she, as he should be treated, to approach this thought with care so that nothing irrational creeps in. I used this to support my idea that I talked with uh, Cade Carter about for traits uh, being used at all times. Not really traits, but uh, principles and values. He says everywhere, at each moment, you have the option to accept this event with humility, to treat this person as, as he should be treated, to approach this thought with care so that nothing irrational creeps in. What I think he's saying here is, yeah, he says you have the option, uh, knowing what he said in the past, I don't really think that there is an option. I mean, he's giving you the option. It's kind of like, I guess, I don't know if this is a good uh, analogy for it, but it's kind of like God giving you free will. Um, You have the option, but there is no other option than to, you know, either accept this event with humility, to treat this person as he should be treated, to approach this thought with care so that nothing irrational creeps in. Um, When looking at my theory that people have certain traits and principles that they uh, used to operate and that they use it 24 seven at every moment. I think this, uh, this helps hold that up. You know, that he, this is kind of what he was thinking right here is that at every moment, uh, at every, you know, what did he say? Everywhere at each moment, you have the option, uh, everywhere at each moment. I think that you have the, uh, you need to assess the things that are happening to you and, uh, I guess grade them, with your values and principles and make sure that they align uh, with what you are, what you're trying to do in life and the way that, you know, your your guiding principles, make sure that the way you're going to handle the situation is in line with your guiding principles, which to him were humility, you know, treating this person as he should be treated, approaching the thought with care. Those were some of his principles and some of his values. And what he's saying is that you can hold those 24 seven. And I like that. 
mostly because it backs up what I was thinking before I read the book. <laughs> um, gave me a little bit of validation there, which, you know, I always enjoy. Um, let's see, number book seven, number 59, Dig Deep, The Water goodness is down there and as long as you keep digging it will keep bubbling up um i know i wasn't gonna lean heavy on jocko but discipline equals freedom if you can understand the equation discipline equals freedom and understand why discipline gives you freedom uh this helps kind of give i think illusion is the word like scenery um to why that works dig deep the water dash goodness dash is down there and as long as you keep digging, it will keep bubbling up. If you keep going, you keep going hard. If you keep staying on the path, as Jocko likes to call it, uh, you will eventually hit water, and water is freedom. Water is uh, goodness, as he puts it here. Uh, now, I, I haven't really been able to define what good means to... Uh, and we're not talking about the mentality good. We're talking about what is good, what is goodness, um, what is truly good in this life. Uh I haven't really been able to nail down what Marcus means by good, but the closest that I've come to it is just the uh, the general idea of being virtuous and serving others is kind of what I've thought. And, and I think he does actually describe it in here later. Uh, I just haven't gotten to it yet. So we'll see. Number 67. Nature did not blend things so inextricably that you can't draw your own boundaries. Place your own well-being in your own hands. It's quite possible to be a good man without anybody realizing it. Remember that. And this too. You don't need much to live happily. And just because you've abandoned your hopes of becoming a great thinker or scientist, don't give up on attaining freedom, achieving humility, serving others, obeying God. This is a really good quote for those people um, that maybe... Uh, maybe didn't set out to achieve what they thought they were going to achieve. Um, I think that there's always hope that you can do those things, but maybe who have felt like they've had to settle for less. They've had to uh, take that job and, and work it until retirement. They've had to not be a millionaire by 40 or whatever. Um, he's saying nature did not blend things so inextricably that you can't draw your own boundaries, place your own well-being in your own hands. So I think this this quote, uh, I almost called it a tweet, dear God. Um, <laughs> I think that this quote uh, has three parts. Nature did not blend things so inextricably that you can't draw your own boundaries, place your own well-being in your own hands. What he's saying is, number one, uh, you have the option to make life what uh, make life, life is what you make it. How do I, let me, let me say that. Uh, life is what you make it. Uh, God didn't, um, a lot of people think that God has a path for them. And I think that that's true. Uh, I don't know enough about it to quote the Bible or anything like that, but, uh, I don't think that the idea that we all have a fate and a destiny and that it's all out of our hands is, uh, holds to water. And I don't think that's what Christians believe. I'm not too versed on it, but, um, you control your fate and you control what happens in your life and wherever you're at is because of your own either a hard work or lack thereof that's why you're you are where you are um he's starting off with that but he also says it's quite possible to be a good man without anyone realizing it remember that what he's saying is that uh, whether you're a good man or not is up to you. It doesn't take acknowledgement for people to realize it. And you can go your whole life without anybody acknowledging you and still be a good man. 
you can go your whole life and still treat people fairly, um, still live your purpose uh, and be a good person without anybody ever patting you on the back for it. Now, that's hard. Uh, it's very difficult, but life is what you make it. Um, it's very difficult and it's very rare that you're actually a good man and nobody ever notices, but uh, it is possible. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're no longer a good man, is what he's trying to say there. And this too, you don't need much to live happily. And just because you've abandoned your hopes of becoming a great thinker or scientist, don't give up on attaining freedom, achieving humility, serving others, obeying God. Yeah, just because you're not going to be, um, if you've decided that you're not going to be the scientist or, um, what are you saying here, great thinker or scientist, uh, don't give up on doing the other good things in life. Don't throw everything, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess is what he's trying to say. Um, you know, for me, I always wanted to, uh, go into the military. I really, really wanted to do that for a long time. I wanted to be a shooter. I wanted to go to war. Um, that kind of got taken away with me, uh, taken away from me with my legs. It just isn't going to happen. Not going to happen with my knees. Uh, I still, I don't know that I'm envious, but, uh, I still, I guess, dream about it often. Um, I'm very wrapped up into, uh, you know, the warrior culture, meme culture, um, listen to a lot of veterans talk. Uh, Jocko is one of my favorites because he talks about his stint in war. Um, I've been very not at peace with myself because I never got to go to war and sort of kind of prove myself. And I know that sounds very selfish because, you know, oh, people died in war and it's, it's really, really bad. Why would you ever want to go? But I think the people that know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the desire to go to war, I think is in a lot of good men. And I never got to do that. But what he's saying here is, uh, just because you didn't get to do that, the thing that you hold. So, um, and I say, I never got to do that. 2023 ain't up yet. Um, nothing's ever really. And if I wanted to go to war, I could probably find a way. Um, you know, nature did not blend things so inextricably that you can't draw your own boundaries. So if I wanted to go to war, I could probably find a way. It's just not very likely. Um, and nine times out of 10, not going to be for the, (laughs) for good reasons. Um, if I found a way to go to war, uh, in the near future, but anyway, it can still happen. But basically what he's saying here is just because you've abandoned your hopes of becoming a great thinker or scientist, don't give up on attaining freedom, achieving humility, serving others, obeying God. Just because what you held so dear to you as your purpose for so long, what you thought was going to be your purpose, uh, just because you've abandoned that, don't abandon still being a good person. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, the dad that uh, would have went to the league uh, if he hadn't torn his ACL um, or the 23-year-old podcast host that would have went to Iraq if he hadn't hurt his knees. Uh, we all know that guy. Uh, some of them choose to live in despair for the rest of their lives and make their kids' lives hell. Uh, and they go out and they coach until they get kicked out of coaching because they're too hardcore. And then they referee. And then they're just assholes on the field because they never got to actually live their dream. And since they abandon all hope on doing that, uh, they've abandoned any semblance of trying to be a good person. That's basically, I think, what he's trying to say here. He's giving you the, number one, the preference that your life is what you make it. So, uh... Go get after it, dude. Uh, Number two, you don't need recognition to be a good man. Uh, You don't need the fame or uh, the pat on the back to be a good man. And number three, just because you've given given up hope on your big dream, 
uh, doesn't mean that you can't still focus and become a really good person on, you know, on the back end of that. I think it's a really, really good quote. Number 67, book seven. Uh, I think that one's really good. Number 71, it's silly to try to escape other people's faults. They are inescapable. Just try to escape your own. Um, this sounds very similar to uh, extreme ownership, but I'm going to throw it back to, I think it was episode two of the Purpose Podcast, Finding Freedom in Fault. I like how he says, escaping your own. Um, it's silly to escape other people's, to try to escape other people's faults. They are inescapable. Just try to escape your own. <laughs> Look into yourself. Uh, solve your own problems. Find fault in whatever happened uh, in yourself. Find the reason that you're to blame for what's going on in your life, not other people. And then once you escape that fault, or not escape the fault, but escape that problem, um, then you find freedom. I thought that was a really good, and I mean, I, I put that episode together way before I ever read this. Uh, I thought that was really good uh, backing from... Marcus Aurelius to support my idea that uh, finding freedom and fault is possible and it's a good thing for you to do. Just a little note there on number 71. Number 73, you've given aid and they've received it. And yet, like an idiot, you keep holding out for more to be credited with a good deed, to be repaid in kind. Why? Um, number one, this goes right back to number 67 where he says it's quite possible to be a good man without anyone realizing it. Remember that. Uh, this one, number 73, what he's saying here is that you've helped somebody. Why are you waiting to be repaid? Um, stop. Okay. You've given somebody help. Uh, they've received it like an idiot. You keep holding out for more to be credited with a good deed, to be repaid in kind. Why? I'm really bad at this. Uh, this is one thing that I'll say that I'm really bad about is giving somebody help and being disappointed uh, when they don't value it the way that I valued it. Uh, they didn't value an hour of my time the way that I valued an hour of my time. Really bad at this. Um, the way that I am planning on getting better at this and what I wrote here is finding your purpose, uh, fulfilling your purpose should be enough. Uh, if not, rethink your purpose. Um, I like to equate this to work. As somebody who I don't feel like my job uh, exactly fulfills my purpose, um, I don't think my job really fulfills my purpose very well on a daily basis. Uh, then I need to rethink my purpose. If 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 you think that your purpose is that job and the only reason that you do the job is to get paid, then you probably need a different purpose. That's a good sign. Uh, if you're looking for something in return, that it's not your purpose. Your purpose is going to be something that you do uh, for the joy of doing it and because you be you you are fulfilled by doing it. Uh, being a good husband. There are some expectations from your wife, but that shouldn't be why you're a good husband. Um, you should be a good husband because you want to be a good husband. Uh, because it's fulfilling for you to be a good husband. That's why. Uh, not because you're sitting there waiting for somebody to do something. It's not uh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. If that's the reason that you're doing things, uh, don't. Just don't do them. Because you're putting undue expectations on people uh, that they may not know are there. And that's really not cool. So like I said, something that I've been bad at a lot in the past, something that I'm still bad at on occasion. Don't expect uh, anything out of people when you've uh, given them aid. That's not very fair. Number 74, the last one in book seven. No one objects to what is useful to him. To be of use of others is natural. Then don't object to what is useful to, useful to you, being of use. <laughs> Sorry. 
That one's difficult. No one objects to what is useful to him. To be of use to others is natural. Then don't object to what is useful to you. Being of use. As he's saying here, no one objects to what is useful to him. You're not going to turn down water because you need water. Well, I mean, some people do on a daily basis. Uh, if it's really hot outside and you're doing a lot of exercise, water's pretty fucking useful. So you're not going to turn it down. <laughs> That's line one. To be of use to others is natural. Uh, it's natural for people to serve um, in the most basic form. Uh, let's think about man and woman make child. Man serves woman to make child. Uh, he's got to give his uh, his special stuff to the woman so that she can make a kid. That's how it works, Biology 101. Uh, the woman has to give her body up uh, so that the species can continue, so that man can survive, uh, so that man and woman can survive, but um, so that we can keep on living. You are born into a purpose of service. That is That is kind of how it goes. Um, while woman is taking care of your child, you have to provide for woman. She's vulnerable. You are born into purposes of service. That's line two. To be of use to others is natural. Then don't object to what is useful to you being of use. Don't reject your purpose. That's the whole reason we're here. Um, we're here to have purposes of service. We're here to be useful. Uh if you think that your purpose in life is to uh, live in pleasure and not ever serve anybody else ever, uh, you're doing completely what is not natural and what's not useful to you. It's not going to serve you any purpose if you don't find a purpose. Good little note there for the people that uh, particularly you know don't want to get married, don't want to have kids uh, because it would be a burden. If that's you, well... Um, you're denying your nature and denying the reason that you were put on this earth, in my opinion, and in the opinion of Marcus Aurelius. So find a purpose of service. Sorry, find a purpose of service. It doesn't have to be getting a wife and kid. Just find one of service. Be of use to somebody else. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Book Club Meditations, episode four, covering book seven of Meditations. I know I said we were going to do seven and eight. Uh, the more I looked into eight and the more I started to talk about it, I realized that it fit with nine, 10, 11, and 12 a little bit better, uh, that some of the stuff was kind of repetitive and you just heard me talk for uh, 40 minutes. So <laughs> actually what I did is I threw it on Wednesday's drop. This is going to drop on Monday, a little bonus episode for y'all since Meditations was pretty, pretty hefty in the way that I had to review it. Uh, so thanks guys for listening. Tune into the next one.